0: Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. I appreciate everyone being with us on kind of a stormy night. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in the book of Nehemiah. Give you a little chance to find the book of Nehemiah here in just a minute. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. And again, I appreciate Jason preaching this morning as I'm trying to find a voice somewhere. I love all the suggestions I got today. From honey to salt water to lemon water to pineapple water. I think my favorite was, have you just tried a plunger? And I think, well, that thought has crossed my mind a couple of times. But I, I appreciate all those things. I, one good brother said, you sound like Don Truex. I said, no, no, that will never get that low. But, but we, are, we are glad to be able to work with you tonight. So we just finished our VBS. And as Jason tied us this morning into the kids' classes, i want to tie in a little bit to what aaron did with us in the adult classes the idea of keeping the faith that is so much a part of what we're trying to do it's what we're trying to get across this year as we think about finish what was started it's imperative that we finish if you do not finish you do not get and so it's so important for us to understand that so i want to just kind of go back and look at some thoughts this evening that will help us as we kind of consider that and and, you know and and finishing is is just part of life you know for some of you who this first year this was your first year of college so exciting college is so different than high school and although you take these college prep classes it's not like college and how exciting that first year is And then you get into your second year and you start getting into your specific major and you start seeing all these great things that you're going to be studying and and all those things come with that. Then you get to the third year and there's just papers and papers and papers and tests and quizzes and papers and tests and quizzes. And for a lot of folks, that's the end of the journey. It's kind of like running. Jimmy's a runner back here. Jimmy runs, runs, runs. I don't run, run, run. Those days are over a long time ago. But, you know, you start off running, and you want to lose some weight. You want to get in shape. You feel great. And you get up, and you run, and you run, and you run. And then we get to our hot August days. Six o'clock in the morning. It's 100 degrees. I think, dude, I don't feel like running. Then you get into our falls, and it's sleeting and raining. And you think, Oh. I don't feel like running. Then you get to the wintertime, it's snowing. And you're like, oh, I don't want to run. And how easy it is to quit. And as we think about this spiritually, the same thing is focused upon us as we think about the things that God wants us to do. And so our theme for a VBS was based on 2 Timothy chapter 4, where there the Apostle Paul says, I have kept the faith. How how important that is. You know, when you go to the airport and you look out the windows and you see by all the parked airplanes, these little yellow blocks, and they're by all the airplanes, and they keep the airplanes from rolling. And before those airplanes fire up and get down that runway, they have to remove those yellow blocks. If they don't remove those yellow blocks, the airplane can't go. And what they do is they stop the airplane. And what we need to see is Satan's trying to do the same thing to you. He's trying to stop you, some of you before you even get started, some of you as you're going along. So he's trying to discourage you, and he'll try that in many different ways. He's trying to get you distracted. Sometimes it's not the wrong things, it's just your your mind's off the spiritual things. You get distracted by job and family and life and all these things, and you put off the things you should be doing. I need to be running, but I don't. I need to be in my school, but I'm not. I need to be focused on God, but I'm distracted. Then what he tries to do is he tries to defeat you. Remember in John chapter 10, where Jesus is described as the good shepherd, it says the thief, and that's the devil, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's his motive, and that's what he's trying to do. So when we go to Nehemiah chapter 4, we look at four yellow blocks here that we have to understand and appreciate. Now, background of Nehemiah. If you were to read the book of Genesis to the book of Nehemiah straight through, that's a complete Old Testament history. After Nehemiah, all those other books fit in between somewhere else. And so if you want to read the Old Testament in chronological order, Genesis to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the last Old Testament books written, even though it's not at the end of the Old Testament. And it's written about the Jews who had been in Babylonian captivity. They came out. They came back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's job is to try to fire them up to rebuild the walls. So beginning now chapter 4, let's begin by reading the first three verses. It says, Now it came about that when Sembalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and angry. And mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria, saying, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And then what we see taking place here is a series of yellow blocks to stop Israel from going forward in verse 10 we see the idea here of loss of strength it says thus in judah it was said the strength of the burden bearers is failing yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the walls in other words you can't do it the work is too great you might as well simply quit we also see in this same verse the idea of a lack of confidence that the idea that we are unable to do this. We also see the lack of vision in this verse. By the very idea that all we see is the problems. Look at all the rubbish. There is much rubbish, it says. But it doesn't see any hope or vision there. And then in verse 11, verse 12, there's a loss of security. Our enemy said they will not know or see until we come upon them and kill them and put a stop to their work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. They were scared. And what we see here is it stopped them. And Nehemiah as a leader had to do something. This is a great lesson for shepherds. This is a great lesson for parents. It's a great lesson for all of us to understand that sometimes Satan throws things against us. To keep us from going the way it should be. Now what's interesting when you look at those yellow blocks in front of that airplane. And you contrast that to this guy landing. You could put a brick wall in front of that airplane. It's going to plow right through it. It's got the momentum. It's hard to stop the momentum. Hard to get going. But once it's going, it's hard to stop. And Nehemiah understood that. And so what he does here is what Nehemiah does in verse 4 is he prays. Verse 4 of Nehemiah verse 9, chapter 4. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. And then what he did is he equipped them. In verse 13, he gave them swords and spears and bows and put them in key places. He equipped them for the danger they faced. He recognized their condition. When I saw their fear, he recognized they were fearful. Shepherds need to recognize when sheep are scared. Shepherds need to recognize when sheep are discouraged. You see, Nehemiah, as a leader, saw this. And he didn't say, well, good luck. He does something about that. And then he returned the people to their job in verse 17. Those who were rebuilding the walls and those who carried the burdens took their load in one hand, doing the work and holding weapons in the other hand. They were again back to the work that they were supposed to be doing. And then, finally, he kept open the lines of communication. He talked about how on one side of the wall, the people on the other side would not know what's going on. So he set up a system where they could communicate to each other through trumpets and through other avenues that they would be able to understand these things. And all of this reminds us of the value and the importance of keeping the faith. Those of us that are Christians, Satan is trying to put a yellow block in front of you. He's trying to stop you. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to talk to you about three simple ways to help us keep the faith. Number one is to magnify who you are. You are a child of God. And we need to emphasize that. Get your Bible. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And We'll be looking at a few verses here. But, you know, we, we often say, and there, there's a side of this which is true, that we are sinners. And we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And we recognize in the book of 1 John to say we have no sin is a lie. And so we understand that we're sinners. But sometimes we forget to also look at the other side, and that is we have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We are different in God's eyes. And you remember that great song, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the saved are rich like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, how do you describe yourself? Well, I'm lost. No, you've been found. That's who you are. I was blind, but now I see. And again, emphasizing the current condition that they are in. So the apostle would say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, he says, by, those, by calling. In every place, upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and ours. We are sanctified. We are saints. We are children of God. You see, when we keep telling ourselves, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a sinner, how easy it is for me to just excuse myself. I can't help it. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to do what's right because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, that's how God sees me. God doesn't see you that way. God sees you as sanctified. God sees you as a child of His. And so one way we keep the faith is to recognize how God sees us. Now look with me, if you will, in First Corinthians. Look at chapter six now. Chapter six and verse nine, verse 10. First Corinthians chapter six. Verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers shall inherit the the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Do you walk around and say, Well, I'm a drunk? no i used to be but i'm not today who are you in god's eyes look in verse 19 verse 20. do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who's in you whom you have from god and that you are not your own you've been bought with a price; therefore glorify god in your body book of ephesians chapter one paul the apostle of christ jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints. Look again, if you will, in the book of Philippians chapter 1. Over and over the apostle would remind these brethren as he begins these letters who they are. Philippians chapter 1 he would say, and in verse 1, Paul and Timothy bond of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus or at Philippi. Now what if Paul said... As that letter was read, raise your hand if you're a saint. Well, I wish I could be, but you know I'm blind. I wish I could be, but I'm a sinner. I wish I could be, but you know I was covetous. That was then. Who are you now? And so the concept of keeping the faith is understanding how God sees you. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 2. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Over and over, what the apostle remind them of is who you are in Jesus. Yes, you were a sinner. Yes, you were blind. Yes, you were lost. But you're not now. You belong to God. You are God's child. And so when we think about this concept, the identity of God is expressed in his holiness. Who God is. And his authority is inherent into his identity. So we get the story in Leviticus chapter 10 about Nadab and Abihu. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respected fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord, consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Oftentimes we stop at verse 2. Look at the next verse. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. That's who God is. Holy in our expressions. Holy in our attitude. Holy in our worship. And so to magnify God is to understand this. And so our identity, let me go back one here, our identity is in conforming to his identity, to who he is. And that we are the children of God. Hold your head up. You're heaven bound. God is your father. You can talk to him anytime, any place. What a powerful, powerful thought that is. Turn with me if you would. to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And there at the very end of this chapter, Paul again reminds us of this great principle. He says in verse 17... Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 17. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Who are you? You're a child of God. And I don't like it when I hear some people say, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a deacon. I'm just a member. Excuse me. You're not just a member you belong to Jesus Jesus died for you you belong in the Holy Kingdom of God that's powerful and when we remind ourselves of that it helps us on this journey number two embrace what God has given you and what he's given you is himself and let's just kind of magnify this by a few points here number one he has given us the power of his precepts the Word of God Romans 1 verse 16 talks about the Word of God is powerful Powerful to change your lives. Powerful to change you from any problem you have. Powerful to get you over from where you have been to where you need to be. God's word is powerful. John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, Jesus says, thy word is truth. He says, it will give you the freedom. Thy word is truth, and it will give you the freedom. Freedom from Satan and freedom from the things that, that control us. Also, we have is the power of his presence. The presence of God. The psalmist would say in Psalms 23 that even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Here in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5, the Bible again reminds us. He says in verse 5, he has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The power of his presence, the power of God's people, real fellowship. People that will pray for you. People that will be there for you. People that will give you the answer from the Bible that you need to hear. Not just nice things that that make you feel good. Things you need, the truth. God has given himself to you in this way. And then, of course, the power of God's promises. John chapter 14. Where I am, there you may be also. Again, great, great encouragement with that. Then the third aspect. How do we keep the faith? is anticipate what god has awaiting you let's look about three verses if you will turn with me to the book of second peter second peter chapter three we read this in our class this morning but second peter chapter three starting in verse nine. Second peter three verse nine the lord is not slow about his promises some men count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but all to come to repentance But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. There's a lot of things we look forward to. A lot of folks are looking forward to Tuesday. Fourth of July, I don't have to go to work. Some people look forward to a wedding day. Some people look forward to the day the baby's born. Some people look forward to the day the kids are out of the house. A lot of things in life we look forward to. Peter said, we're looking forward to Jesus coming. That helps us remain faithful to God. That helps us stay the course. If you will, look with me in the book of Philippians now. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Notice verse 20. We, we again spend a lot of time on the front part of this verse. Where it talks about our citizenship. Philippians 3 verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are eagerly awaiting that. I can't wait is what He says. Look again, if you will, in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, and let's look at, begin verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness worldly desires to live sensibly righteously godly this present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus one of the things we see over and over here is we can't wait for Jesus to come revelation chapter 22 ends come Lord Jesus have you ever prayed that prayer do you think tonight when you put your head on the pillow and you're getting the last thoughts out for the day when the last things that run through your mind is go ahead and come tonight Jesus go ahead and come tonight now there'll be a lot of things you don't get to see Some of you got weddings planned, that wouldn't get to happen. Some of you got babies coming, that wouldn't get to be seen. Some of you got vacation plans, that wouldn't happen. But all of that is nothing to the coming of Jesus. One of the flavors we see running through the New Testament was an anticipation for Jesus. And if I can't say, come tonight, why? Why can't I say that? And what I want to see is one of the ways that really helps us stay in the game, keep the faith, keep going when it gets hard, keep going when other people are telling you you don't have to do all these things, is this understanding that Jesus is coming and I so want this. And as we have magnified here on your outline, the best is yet to come. Debbie and I got to go to Houston last week uh, for a lectureship. And It's at the Southside Congregation where one of my heroes used to preach, D. Bowman. Many, many of you know D. Bowman. D. Bowman always had this expression, if you miss heaven, you just missed it all. I got to visit his grave. And on his tombstone, if you miss heaven, you just missed all there is. And if you miss heaven, all that's left is hell. That's all that's left. I want to end tonight by reading a a letter i just got this yesterday it was written yesterday someone scanned it and emailed it to me a couple weeks ago at the end of my sermon i talked about the story of jimmy and some of you who are with us tonight wasn't there jimmy is on death row in state of alabama jimmy murdered somebody and without any preacher help tracks classes Jimmy just read the Bible from cover to cover. Jimmy was so convicted by the pure words of Jesus that he asked the prison officials that he had to be baptized. He had to be immersed the Bible way. And he was. Jimmy will never sing in the congregation like we sing. He has never taken the Lord's Supper. He's never placed fellowship in a congregation. He's sitting on death row in an Alabama prison. When I heard that story from one of our Jumpstart readers, and how part of the story was about the granddaughter of the woman he murdered reached out to him, and how she wrote a letter of forgiveness to Jimmy. I wrote that one of my Jumpstarts, and that just got everywhere. That night, the granddaughter emailed me, so thankful that this story could be told by a lot of people. Jimmy and I have Corresponded several times now. And this is what he wrote. And he, wants, he wanted me to read this to you today. To my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, from Jimmy, may all God's blessings be on you, and may he turn his face towards you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name I tell you, the impact of your outpouring of love and fellowship has had on me is overwhelming. I'm so indebted to brothers Van Cooper, Van Cooper is the shepherd from that small Alabama church who went and visited him, and Roger Shouse for sharing my experience in becoming a witness for the Lord and the incredible story of grace and forgiveness with my wonderful sister in Christ, Sarah Gregory. Through their relating these things, I have received so many letters, cards, and texts from all over the country from folks letting me know that they love me and how inspired they are by my story. From the aged to the very young, they consider me their brother and say they look forward to meeting me in glory. The joy and the comfort that has come to me through this is too deep for words to convey. I tell you all humbly and truly look forward to the time when I can stand before you all and thank you properly for your love, prayers, and faith. To God be all the glory, love in Christ, Jimmy. Now what Jimmy has in mind to stand before you is not coming to this church. Today is July 2nd. Jimmy has 18 more days and he's going to be executed. Jimmy's looking forward to the day when you and you and you are in heaven with him. And to thank you for that encouragement. Now I posted the copy of this letter back there, and I actually have Jimmy's address if you want to write him. If you want to write him there, hurry up. He only has 18 days left on this planet. But here's somebody who's anticipating something. He's not scared of needles going in his arm. He's not scared of how he's going to die. He's He's not scared because he's being executed by the state. He's looking forward to seeing Jesus. His faith is going to finish. And that's why I want us to see when we talk about keeping the faith, that's the very idea. And so this evening, if we can be of any help, we want to help you. Life can be hard. Sometimes it's just easy to say, I'm just giving up, but you can't. If you miss heaven, as Brother Bowman said, you've missed everything. It won't matter. Come Judgment Day, if you could list a whole sleeve full of degrees. That doesn't mean a thing to God. It doesn't matter if you can say to God, you will not believe how massive my 401 was. God doesn't care. If you can say to God, you won't believe how many places I've visited. God doesn't care. What God cares about is, did you have faith and did you keep it to the end? Did you allow Satan to put a yellow block in front of your life and that stop you? Or are you going to say, no, Satan, I'm going to roll right over that. I'm going to keep going because I believe in Jesus. We can be of any help to you. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?